chapter 37 of Isaiah today, and uh, I think I'll begin back in uh, 36 verse 21, which we read last time, but this is after the uh, Rabshakeh, the high official from Assyria, had uh, basically read the riot act to these people in Judah, and uh, really made uh, arguments that are difficult to be refuted. Um, so after all this verse 21 but these uh, high officials from Judah but they were silent and answered him not a word for the king's command was do not answer him then Eliakim the son of Hilkiah who was over the household and Shebna the secretary and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh uh, well, uh, so what? Well, he told them not to answer. Which was probably wisdom on the king's part. But what could they answer anyway? Uh, the Rav Shaka had already anticipated all of their arguments, all of their objections, everything they were going to say, and he already had his answers in advance, which he already gave them the answers to questions that they were going to ask. So <laughs> basically, there's nothing left to say. I mean. You know, that was it. Um, so the Rabshakeh's argument was logical, and in a certain sense, it was conclusive. Therefore, we get into chapter 37, verse 1 and 2. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz. So sackcloth is a biblical sign or the biblical sign of mourning and repentance. Hezekiah goes to the house of the Lord. He doesn't send for the priest, but he goes to them. So he's humbling himself. Uh, this is public repentance on the part of the national leadership uh, perhaps there's repentance here also from the thought of depending on Egypt and all these other kind of charades they were trying to pull off and so forth. This delegation in sackcloth goes to the prophet. Uh, they had rejected Isaiah's counsel earlier, so they're in the sackcloth, they're repenting. Isaiah's counsel earlier is in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8. So let's check that out. Isaiah 38 where Isaiah says this, 8 through 11, And now go, write it before them on a tablet, inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, Do not see, and to the prophets, Do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. So that was basically the king and the people's response to Isaiah's ministry pretty much. Is, uh, you know, forget it. But now, 
there's a lot of repentance going on and a lot of humility before the prophet here. Okay, <clears throat> verse 3, chapter 37. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. Or no strength to bring forth children, as an idiom, I assume, that as the mother labors uh, to bring forth children before cesareans, uh, <clears throat> if the baby was not delivered, both baby and mother died. So no strength to bring forth children. So this is a dire situation in Jerusalem as he's applying. Uh, they're applying it to that. Basically, <clears throat> these repentant high officials are saying we need the Lord's deliverance. We can't do anything. Which is true. Verse 4. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. <clears throat> um, so Hezekiah addresses Isaiah's God as the Lord your God, although it seems that Hezekiah was a believer but Isaiah is the guy who's been faithful the whole time. I mean, all these years. He's been saying nothing but the truth. And they've rejected, rejected, rejected. So Hezekiah says, The Lord, your God, you know him better than we do. Um, he acknowledges Isaiah's role as prophet and implicit, implicitly his own weakness in following God and leading the people in faith and holiness. Um, Hezekiah also mentions that these men from Assyria have come to mock the living God. So now Hezekiah is concerned about the honor of God. He's, uh, he's beginning to get serious about the faith now. Okay. <laughs> he, he's concerned about the honor of Yahweh. Okay. Verse 5. 5 and 6. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Um, so when the servants of Hezekiah arrived to ask for prayer, from Hezekiah, Hezekiah doesn't pray. He already has the word. He already knows. So he just says, says the fact, now say to your master, thus says the Lord, and he goes on. Do not be afraid. Notice here that also in verse 5, he calls these men the servants of King Hezekiah, the text does. And then later on in verse 6, he he uses the phrase, the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. This is not necessarily, not necessarily so, but this could be a put down here. Uh, whereas the servants of Hezekiah use the Hebrew word abad, which means servant. But the young men of the king of Assyria use the word na'ar, which means young men use. Could be 
some kind of, uh, in another sense, but basically what he's saying is these boys from the king of Assyria have come and done this. So it's a, it's a little bit of a verbal put down here. Verse 7. This is Isaiah's word from God again. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, that's the king of Assyria, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So this is how God's going to deal with the king of Assyria. The spirit within him is not one would know, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I, in my thought here, it's probably not even a demon. It's, it's his own emotional and mental makeup, his own emotional and psychological makeup. And God's going to deal with him uh, on that basis. Verse 8. We're going to stop here a minute. I'm going to let you talk. Uh, the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhaka, king of Cush, he has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria is going to give up his siege there, his attack on Jerusalem. He's going to go and fight another battle that he needs to fight. But he says to Hezekiah, don't be deceived. Don't think that just because I'm leaving Jerusalem that you're going to be saved. <laughs> don't, don't deceive yourself. Uh, Tirhaka was an Ethiopian king actually, who ruled Egypt at that time. Sometimes they did, not that often, but sometimes the Ethiopians would go in and take it over and so forth. Uh, so, don't be deceived. Don't think this is a deliverance from God. Verses 11 through 13. Behold, you have... This is still the king of Assyria. Uh, Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed? Gosan, Haran, Rezaph, the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the Serfavaim, the king of Hina, or the king of Iva? Uh, so he's listing all the cities and peoples that he's destroyed or taken over so far. It's interesting here, this city of Sepharvaim is a city in Mesopotamia between the rivers from which peoples were deported and resettled in Samaria. So a lot of these ancient peoples did this when they would take over a, a land, they would deport those inhabitants and they import some other, some other inhabitants from other places just to kind of mix it all up. So, pardon me? Yes, they're doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, and from Sepharvaim, there were a lot of people taken by the king of Assyria and settled in Samaria, which is the northern kingdom, uh, or now the, uh, or the now fallen northern kingdom, as it were. They came from the city of Hamath also to resettle. So, in Samaria, up in the northern part of Israel. We have a mixed population 
of Middle Easterners and Jews. Uh, hence, Nathaniel can ask the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a bunch of half-breeds up there. I mean, uh, that was the question. So in Babylon, but in Babylonian captivity, when the Jews go over to Babylon, it wasn't quite this way. The Jews were not as scattered out as they were in the Assyrian captivity. So they maintained their customs, they maintained their scholarship, they maintained their language and so forth. And indeed, the famous, is it Babylonian Talmud? Am I saying correctly on that? The Babylonian Talmud was composed in Babylon. Jewish commentary on the scriptures and so forth. So they had more of a, a cultural uh, continuity, as it were, but not so much in Samaria. Uh, okay, well, does anybody have any comments here so far? It's more, it's yeah, go ahead. Interesting to compare uh, God's, how God is dealing with Hezekiah to how he dealt with his father Ahaz. <laughs> Hezekiah's uh, reaction to trouble was the right thing. You know, sackcloth and ashes, mm -hmm. repentance, as you say, you know, go to the temple, go to the priests, mm -hmm. call for the prophet. Mm -hmm. Ahaz would not even do what God commanded him to do. Ask for Ask sign. Me a sign. Oh no, I would never. I'm too holy. I'm going to do it. I'm too holy. Ahaz is a horrible person, a horrible king. You know, we talked yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, so God does this. No great miracle for his sake. Mm -hmm. For Hezekiah, you know, a man of faith, he basically says, "Well, I'm just going to stir up some trouble in his backyard, so he's going to leave. Zachariah mm -hmm. will leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just going to mess with him in his own land." I think this is a, a lesson to Christians you know, who are faithful. Mm -hmm. God will God will deal with us. Subtly, because that's all we need. When he's when he's got to make a point against people who who are rejecting him and, and uh, you know resisting him, that's when he might do something big, to really, to get to get your attention. Okay. So you know, I'm, I'm, all I'm really saying is here, if God seems to only be doing subtle things with you. That's probably a good sign. Okay. Very good. All right. Anybody else? You know, this mix here yeah. basically destroys the culture. That, yes. It changes the culture. It changes the culture. It's something yeah. completely different. Yeah. And so in a sense, in, in Samaria, their culture was so watered down that they had no longer any connection with the, with the reality. Indeed. Do you know that <laughs> there are still Samaritans living in Israel? They're still there. And they have their own priesthood, their own worship. They, they accept only the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, but they have their pre... They, they're there. I mean, it's amazing. They're there. <laughs> yeah. what, what you pointed out about the Jews is, is really remarkable uh, because I, I believe that that Talmud that you mentioned... Talmud, yeah. Uh, ...was written later on. You know, the Jews, there were most of the Jews that were deported to Babylon and Persia stayed there. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, but they still maintain this identity. Yes. And they still do today. I mean, the Jewish identity is very clear yes. in the world, and that's that's a work of God. And guess what? There's a vigorous Jewish community in Iran that's still there, and they've been there since the captivity. Amazing. 
Amazing. There was a lot of Jews that left uh, Iraq many years ago. Yes. And it shocked me that there were Jews there. It was like, when God scattered them, He did a good job. <laughs> and the cultures are affected. The Jews that went to Eastern Europe, they developed Yiddish. Yes. And that was considered, uh, they considered that being the language in Israel when it became independent. Oh, okay. But that got the, Voted down. Thrown out pretty quick. <laughs> so apparently there's a bit of a difference between Yiddish. Oh yeah. And, yeah, they they kind of had to reinvent Hebrew because it hadn't been spoken for two thousand years. So they had to come up with a word for airport. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the, the fly place. <laughs> the new Jewish dictionary. I saw the Swedish. Sorry to keep popping off. I saw this. I read this book by this Jewish lady, and it was a Swedish kind of picture in your mind. When she was five years old, you know, she's in America. She began school, and she'd grown up in a Orthodox household. All the other kids speak English, and all she spoke was Hebrew. And it just it was kind of a picture of you know really wanting to be a part. And, well, sure. And of course, over time now she's an author. You know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Very good. All right, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands. In other words, what the Rabshakeh says is true. I mean, there's no argument about that. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from His hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You alone are the Lord. I was reading commentator the other day and he was just pointing out how important all this is in, uh, in uh, what's the right word? In the uh, propagation of belief in one God. This was tremendously important before the coming of Messiah, before Christ is born in Bethlehem. In other words, monotheism is very important and then and we are monotheists, I mean believe it or not. But <laughs> so and anyway, Hezekiah is on this roll here. I mean that there's only one God and these other gods are wood and stone. I mean they're obviously just wood and stone. I mean they're false, yeah, idols. Uh, okay. Let's see where we are. Yes, verses 16 through 20. Verse 17, Hezekiah says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. So Hezekiah is having sort of a personal revival here. Uh, in effect, in verse 17... I'm appealing to you on the basis of who you are. Basically, you are the God who sees and you are the God who hears. Is introduced to us through your servant Hagar in Genesis 16, 7 through 14. So let's take a look.
Genesis 16, 7 through 14. God sees and God hears. Go ahead, Craig. Uh, I'm sorry, what would be? Genesis 16, 7, 7 through 14. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with a child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Okay. So you are the God who sees me. You're the living God who sees me. And where does it say? Well, Ishmael has the word here in it. God hears is really Ishmael's name. Yeah. Um, so God sees, God hears. And these, these two uh, doctrines are introduced here in Genesis through Hagar. So, uh, Hezekiah is praying this back to the Lord. You're the God who hears, you're the God who sees. So you know all these things. Jesus even refers to that. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, verse 17 again. Uh, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. And, uh, all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Uh, living God is a term used most often when Yahweh is in conflict with the idols. In other words, he is the living God. While idols are given their power by the ones who make them or the demons. In other words, idols can have power over people either psychologically because we believe it or usually there's demons hiding behind those idols too that do stuff and make it seem like you know things are happening and so forth. So, But the living God <clears throat> is in battle against all these things. <clears throat> Verse 18. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria, kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Again, there's a kind of an evangelistic motive here on Hezekiah is having a real personal renewal here. There's kind of an evangelistic motive here that all the nations might know that you alone are God. In other words, you are God, and we want the nations to know this. So all these idols, all these multiplicity of gods, all this stuff, it's just false, false, false. And, you know, would that people would get out of that and worship 
Yahweh, the one true and living God. So this is Hezekiah's mindset right here at this time. Uh, verse 22, verse 21. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. So, if you mock Israel, you're mocking the God of Israel. And I would say it's probably not too far of a stretch in Galatians 6.16 to say if you mock the Israel of God, you're mocking God. So, so that's the day in which we live as the world mocks the church, the Israel of God, they're not mocking us. They're mocking God. They're mocking the living God. So this is a rough and uh, bad situation. Okay, I will stop here. Does anybody have anything? Well, I would say that they are mocking God the Son in particular. Well, particularly, sure. Uh, their only hope and their judge. So, not a good idea. Not a good idea. I have a question here. Where, where does it where does it enter in when you see that so hierarchy of the church or something is screwing up, you know, and you're calling them out? So, well, how, wicked, how does that fit in? Wickedness should always be called out. I mean, the people of God shouldn't be engaged in wickedness. So it should be judged like anything else. But that, that makes me remember uh, David in the cave. He would not strike Saul. He says, I will not strike the Lord. Authority. There you go. He was going to let God deal with it. There you go. There you go. He was trusting God. Yeah. So we were reminded of that. Yeah. Yeah, David. You didn't want to speak Child abuse or whatever it might be, or being shady, you know, taking money from the congregation and using it to build big houses or buy boats or whatever. Well, this stuff goes on in the church because it's full of sinners, you know. But save centers, that's the thing. Well, I'm just wondering, is that, is that mocking at that point? Is well, I mean, to, to uh, you know, push Craig's point, Saul had already uh, advocated the privileges of the priesthood, which was a mockery of God. He, he was actually mocking God, uh, and yet, but he, you know, and, and that was wrong, and, and uh, God had expressed that. You Samuel will say, I'm going to take the kingship from you. Uh, but still, you know, David's place was not to yeah. act rationally. Yeah, so I guess we could call them out. You know, the, the, sure, you can call them out. The church is mocking sure God. You. We should call them out. Exactly. Just don't liquidate yeah, don't liquidate yeah. Well, these, these don't people. Completely, don't completely throw them These out. people in the church, as you say, they're doing various kind of crimes and so forth. Sure, they should be called out. That's but it's true. those people that are mocking God yeah. also. You know. So that may be the answer. If, you, if the church, you can only mock people when they mock God. <laughs> so, well, we don't have to mock anybody, but I, it would be nice to have them locked up. Maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, they, uh, they respond to it sometimes nice to like that. You know, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Why, how far are you bringing this up? Or whatever. Yeah. So. But there, Jesus gives us, lines out church discipline for us. So if there's some leadership that you can actually access, <clears throat> follow that model. 
Yeah, review them privately. Review them with sure, brother. Sure, Then bring it public if they just Jesus, won't. They Jesus, won't. Jesus pretty well mocked the uh, Jewish religion of his time, no doubt about it. Well, yeah. He called them white-born sepulchers. Well, they weren't there's part of that Israel of God. God. <laughs> My dad has looked up. Our family came to this county in uh, 1820, I think it was. And down to my dad found in the old Baptist book, that his name was James too. There was an Allison yeah. that got drummed out of the church. No kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> it happens. So, so, well, the point being, you know, kind of along the lines of the session, yeah. uh, our older Christian churches were maybe some of them were more aggressive about maybe so. the behavior of people. Maybe so. In the church. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, look the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul picks up on, on Jesus' uh, commands in church discipline. I think it's in uh, first or second Corinthians, I forget which one. He makes a statement clearly. He says, look, he's like, uh, we are to judge those that are inside the church, but it's God who judges those who are outside. So uh, it, it picks up on the discipline aspect to say, look, if, if, if someone around you, actually, I think it's first Corinthians chapter 5, after he talks about the man who's sleeping with his stepmother, he says, look, you need to judge this man. It's your job to judge this man. As he is in the church. And he does say when, when, when someone's excommunicated that then we should treat them like unbelievers. Well, how do we treat unbelievers? Yeah, we love them. <laughs> so, so we, we try to share the gospel with them. Yeah. Well, my daughter Sarah over at this church, they were former members of, which has kind of imploded recently. Uh, she said the problem over here is the church is filled with adultery. This is the problem. But nobody's calling it out. I mean, there's not a single sermon preached about it. Of course, you know, you can lose membership that way, but they're losing them anyway. I mean, what difference does it make? Nobody's calling it out. So, I, I mean, that's kind of the job of the prophet. I think so. I think so. Or the elders or somebody needs to be dealing, or at least calling people's attention to this problem, you know. So, there we are. All right. Uh, verse 24. By your servants you have mocked the Lord and you have said with my many chariots I have gone up to the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon to cut down its tallest cedars its choicest cypresses to come to its remotest height its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. So this is more great boasting uh, by Assyria concerning how great they are and so forth. Verse 26, Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what, what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out. And coming in, you're raging against me because you have raged against me. And your complacency has come to my ears. I'll put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. And I will turn you back by the way in which you came. Uh, so, verses 26 through 29, perhaps it is true, says the prophet Isaiah, that Assyria doesn't know that God has actually been planning this scenario 
for a long time. And he's brought Assyria in that he might bring them back out. <laughs> this is what Sennacherib said. Your God has sent me to, to destroy you. And, right? and in that he sense, he was correct. Part, right? yeah. you know, the, the destruction part, he didn't get right. <clears throat> yeah. So God has been setting Assyria up and using Assyria for his purposes. Even the resettlement of northern Israel with non-Jews, I mean, I don't know what the total purpose of it was, but one was a nice line from Nathaniel, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, <laughs> you know, everything's working together here as God's working all these things out. Also, God, guess what? Has created you for a purpose. For His purpose, no doubt, to be witnesses in the world in which we live. Let's take a brief look at Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, which you may have memorized. One thirty-nine, one through six. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. <clears throat> you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. God discerns what we're thinking, even though He may be in heaven and we're on earth, as it were. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Look at this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God already knew that good conversation you had with a person. He also knew the bad one before they even happened. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So David is praising God for this. His watch care, his knowledge, so on. Uh, and Isaiah is basically informing the Assyrians that, well, I mean, you'll see. God, God has a plan here. He's going to work it out. <clears throat> okay, verse 30. Um, and that, this shall be the sign for you, says Isaiah. This year you shall eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from that. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Uh, I'm not totally sure here, but it, more or less it seems that in the third year of agricultural cycle, things are going to be back to normal. Uh, I'm just going to say that. I, I don't know what else to make of it uh, than that. Um, 31, and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. Now, <clears throat> Sennacherib had, you know, made logical statements about it, you know, how they're going to reduce Jerusalem to a ruin. And it seemed logical, and who could refute it? But God says, on the contrary, the Assyrians will not even shoot an arrow into this city. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it. 
for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Verse 36. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians. Can you imagine that? 185 bodies in one, in one night laying around out there. Man, it'd take a long time to bury that many if they <clears throat> even did that. <laughs> yeah. It's an atomic bomb. Yes. It's like Hiroshima. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Wow. So the Lord took care of the Assyrian army. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, guess what, and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, we saw a picture of Nisroch last week, Adramelech and Sherezer, his son, struck him down with a sword. I don't really know why. And after they escaped, <clears throat> and after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esar Hayden, his son, reigned in his place. So we get Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and then his son Esar Hayden. Why these other brothers assassinated their father? I, I, somebody, do you know anything about that history there? Well, there's there's a theme throughout Isaiah of of the seed. You know, watch the seed, and what happens to the seed is important. Now, in, in false idolatry, what happens is that the parent ends up killing their children, usually. You know, a wow. modern version of this would be abortion. It's just another wow. example. Amazing. Right? So, you have these children <coughs> who are, you know, like baby sharks in the womb having to kill each other and having to kill their parents. It's just, it's bloodshed all around. It is. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I do know that um, Sennacherib. Um, had taken out Babylon. Yes. And Sargon had this idea that Babylon should be allowed to prosper and should be, you know, the next great world power. Yeah. Which he ends up accomplishing. Mm -hmm. But he kills his father in order to do it. Oh, boy. Well, uh, when Sennacherib is killed here by his sons, actually, he didn't die until some 20 years after he returned to his homeland. So he lived a good while. But for some reason, he was assassinated by his sons. <clears throat> do you, do you, when you're reading this, do you read that this happened during the battle with Cush? The, the it already death, said that he left Jerusalem. The death of Sennacherib. Yeah. It, the uh, Assyrian army was not at Jerusalem's doorstep no, at this point. No, it could be, but like I say, really, it, from what I've read, it was 20 years later, really, when he was assassinated. So I don't know. What I, the mean the, I mean the angel of the Lord killing all the uh, oh, Assyrians. I would that say happened during a fight with Cush, or was this uh, on Assyrian? Well, was I this would, on the Assyrian turf? I would. I don't know about the fight with Cush the timing, but I would say it's when those Assyrian armies had taken all those cities uh, around the Mediterranean, Ashdod and Lachish. They were taking Israelite cities, and they got up to Jerusalem. It was they were close. And that's when Sennacherib, uh, uh, when uh, Rabshakeh came out and did all that. I would say it would be during that event, you know, that were, as they were threatening. Of course, the king left and all that, but uh, who knows? I mean, I, I would say it would be in that time frame when they were threatening uh, Jerusalem that all those guys were killed. That would be my thought. Because he left and he said, you know, don't yeah. worry, I'm coming back. But he, was, he had backed away in order to deal with Kush. Yes. 
That's right. So, so maybe he did come back. Has, has, has anybody done yeah. any archaeological investigation to try to find out where these 185,000 guys fell dead? Uh, they I had to be buried right there. I mean, you know, I didn't. Or burn them. I didn't see anything about that. Kingdoms tend not to talk about their failures. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they tend not to write those things yeah, down. They don't talk about the Red Sea deliverance. Yeah, yeah. there may be a time lag <coughs> question too about uh, concerning verse 30. Because um, it sounds like regular agriculture is just not going to be possible yeah. for a couple of years. Sounds like it. So it may be, I mean, taking over rural land is easy. It's taking over the cities that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so there may have been Assyrians still, you know, causing trouble out, yeah. out in rural areas. Yeah. And they may have caused havoc on the farmland. So that would stuff. be like a couple of years. You know, obviously, Could be. Turn to fruitfulness in the third year. Yeah. Is yeah, I mean this is the number three. So. <laughs> I think this could be symbolic too, talking about generations of, of, of people that you know these are the ones that we already know we're in. Next year we gain more, and then by the third year, you know the third generation when you're getting ready to leave, y'all are going to be so solid in what you believe, could be. what you think, you know, know your culture. It's going to be it's going to be beneficial to you when you go into captivity. Could be, well, very good. Yeah. Because it's, it's based on what he says after it. You know, because uh, once more a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. You know, so so it could be talking about the people of Israel in a symbolic way. Okay. The only reason I asked that question about Cush is because fascinated by the role of Ethiopia and just the big story. God seems that Ethiopia just keeps showing up. Hey, they do, the they do show up. Don't right? They? It's this very mysterious player yeah. in the drama. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if, if God steps in, there's a serious threatening Kush, and God himself steps in and, you know, basically drops an atomic bomb <laughs> in, defense, in defense of Well, the you got a point. It might have, it might have been down the there at the Battle of Kush. Yeah. yeah, you got a point. Well, even today, they own the Ark of the Covenant. Well, and, and That's uh, all they say. You know, God, God had definite plans for Babylon as well. Yes. And for yeah. Nebuchadnezzar, who wasn't born yet. Yeah. So, you know, uh, manipulating events to make Babylon powerful exactly. would fit right into yeah. you know, God's predetermination. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, if, if if these three, if these two years of just eating what comes up of itself mm -hmm. uh, is actually two uh, solar years, mm -hmm. it is at least an indication that this is not going to be easy. There is going to be suffering involved. Mm -hmm. uh, but he also promises that there is not going to be a siege of Jerusalem. So oh, he's so. going to deliver them from starvation. They yeah. they will be able to eat. Yeah. But it isn't going to be easy. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the the uh, importance of, of suffering, you know, is, is runs throughout scripture. Yeah. You know, it's and it's what we're called to even now. So pain is a great teacher. Well, it's, it's yeah. where the uh, roots of faith grow deepest. I'm ready for school to be out on that. What? <laughs> That's a what kind of teacher? Pain is a great teacher. Pain, oh, yeah. Ask Oedipus. Oedipus is Joe All right, I'm going to close by reading a poem. This is called The Destruction of Sennacherib. 
the Assyrian came down like the wolf on the fold, and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. And the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea, when blue wave rolls nightly on deep Galilee. Like the leaves of the forest when summer's green, that host with their banners at sunset were seen. Like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown, that host on the morrow lay withered and strewn. For the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face of the foe as he passed. And the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill, and their hearts but once heaved and forever grew still. And there lay the steed with his nostril all wide, but through it there rolled not the breath of his pride, and the foam of his gasping lay white on the turf, and cold as the spray of the rock-beating surf. And there lay the rider distorted and pale, with the dew on his brow and the rust on his mail. And the tents were all silent, the banners alone, the lances unlifted, the trumpet unblown. And the widows of Asher are loud in their wail, and the idols are broke in the temple of Baal. And the might of the Gentile, unsmote by the sword, hath melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. <laughs>